You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 54. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the 10th Doctor Regeneration story, End of Time, as we continue to make our way through all the regeneration stories leading up to the regeneration of the 12th Doctor into the 13th Doctor on Christmas 2017. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So uh, before we get into the episode itself, we have a bit of Doctor Who news. Uh, as we record this, uh, this is still news. You'll be hearing this about a month after we've recorded it. We're recording a few uh, uh, episodes ahead of time. Um, it's the announcement of the new companions uh, for the Doctor, as well as a little bit of other casting news. We'd heard uh, some rumors uh, about uh, the first companion, uh, Bradley Walsh. Uh, he's uh, about a middle-aged uh, actor who has been in a bunch of different things in Britain. Um, he's going to play the role of Graham. Then there's a uh, two young people, uh, Tosin Cole. Uh, he will play Ryan. And Mandeep Gill, a young woman, uh, she will play Yasmin. Uh, Tosin and Mandeep have been in uh, a, a couple of famous British uh, soap operas, uh, well-known soap operas, Hollyoaks, and East Enders. I've I, all I know is the name and that they're soap operas. That's all I know about them. Uh, but uh, they haven't been in much else. Uh, Tosin has also American audiences might recognize him from his very small part as a rebel pilot in uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Uh, we we uh, you you know you'll have to look for him next time you you watch it. Uh, we have a it's a it's a diverse cast. Uh, a lot of people kind of making a big deal about the the casting. Uh, Bradley Walsh is a middle-aged white guy. Tosin Cole is a young black man. Um, Mandeep Gill is a young woman pro who's apparently of Southwest Asian descent, um, which is Southeast. interesting. Southeast. Uh, well, no, Southwest would be like Pakistan and India. Southeast would be like oh. Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess, so I guess what I think Southwest of Southwest Asia is like <laughs> Turkey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, I think it's Southwest Asia because that's you know, when I served in Saudi Arabia, it was you know, Joint Task Force Southwest. Okay, well, the the um, I I was kind of thinking of that from a British point of view. Uh, Britain yes. looks yeah. at that as sort of Asia, Southwest Asia, yeah. that that region. Um, so uh, it's I find it interesting the casting of Mandeep Gill is interesting because she's um, uh, from that region, and that region uh, there's a large population uh, of of folks uh, in. Uh, British society now who are from that region. And so this is a bit of representation for them uh, in Doctor Who, a, an iconic uh, series, uh, you know, that's that, that sort of a British identity. Um, and, and this is what happens with empires. You have people from the provinces who end up migrating to the homeland. Same thing happened with the Roman Empire and it happened with the British Empire. That's right. And, and, and Jimmy, you mentioned uh, earlier uh, when we were talking about this, uh, that the, the casting... It might have also uh, more international implications. 
Yeah, because they have, um, you know, overseas broadcasting deals. And I've heard that they have some in Asia that may be new there, or at least there's going to be some kind of push to have the show uh, aired more in Asia. And they've certainly cast companions on the basis of such deals before back in the 80s. Um, when there was a, a big deal for getting the show broadcast in America, they created the American companion, Perry Brown. And mm-hmm. so the Yasmin character could be, you know, in part inspired by similar uh, interests. Hopefully with, with, with the Yasmin character, they're actually picking, I know they're picking someone of that descent to play that role, unlike Perry, who we talked a lot about her. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> who is actually American American? Yes, yeah, actually British, doing a very bad American accent at times. Uh, so, and then there was a, the other bit of casting was uh, Sharon D. Clark, uh, an uh, an older woman. She's not a young person. I'm sorry, Miss Clark, but uh, that's I'm just trying to make distinctions. <laughs> uh, but she's going to give me in a recurring role, uh, unspecified, uh, not a companion per se, as far as we can understand. The companions were, were, you know, the information about the companions were, were released very specifically. These are the new companions. She was, uh, well, her name was released so ha- separately as, as uh, just as a recurring role. I have a question about the companions thing. The, it, what I've seen didn't, from official sources, didn't use the word companion. I saw a quote from Chris Chibnall where he was referring to them repeatedly as the new doctor's friends. Mm-hmm. which implies companion, but doesn't quite say it. Personally, I hope that they are companions. Um, I think that uh, I think that go- if if we have, even though it's viewed by some fans as kind of a crowded TARDIS to have three companions, I actually think it would be good for the dynamic of the show at this mm-hmm. point. Um, the reason being partly because of the shift in the dynamic that's going to be brought about by having Jodie Whittaker as the first female doctor. Um, if they just did the typical thing of single young female companion, it would be weird. Um, you know, there, there would be no male presence on the show. There's always kind of been a, even if it's platonics, there's frequently, I should say, been a something of a romantic subtext between the doctor mm-hmm. and the companion. And, and so having a male companion who's notably older, than Jodie Whittaker, um, which is what the Graham companion is going to be. Uh, that's a way of having male presence on the show, but also um, taking the romance issue mm-hmm. off the table, um, which I think is good because we've had a lot of Doctor romance recently, and with the gender switch, it'd be nice to just let's get used to a female Doctor before we start complicating it. Well, and, it, and it's, um, it's not out of it's not out of precedence either to have three companions, especially if you count robot companions. You know, we can think of canine with chameleon. There were times where they had three companions, but even three human. Or Adric, he was a robot. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> so there were points acting. But yeah, so we've had three companions. In fact, that's how the show started. And this new dynamic kind of reminds me of the original TARDIS dynamic, where you had a, the doctor is an older man. Then you had a kind of middle aged couple with Ian and Barbara, and then a young person with Susan. And they were kind of a pseudo family on the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And we may get something similar here with Jodie Whittaker now as a kind of middle-aged woman doctor 
and an older man. But then if you've got an older man, you need a younger action figure. And that seems to be what the Ryan character is going to be. But a female doctor with two male companions would seem a little weird. And so it makes sense to add Yasmin mm-hmm. as an additional female presence. So it's, you know, I, I think that the three companion dynamic with the gender and age mix they've got um, can work. So just to, to you mentioned that Chris Chibnall's uh, his statement on it. He what he said was the new doctor is going to need new friends. We're thrilled to welcome Mandip, Tosin, and Bradley to the Doctor Who family. Um, we can't wait to see them dive into brand new adventures with Jody's Doctor. Alongside them, we're delighted that Sharon D. Clark is also joining the show. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like a consolation prize. Sharon D. Clark was also there. <laughs> I, I, I think it implies she's not a companion, but she's plays some major recurring role. And, and perhaps not even a friend, uh, which was yeah, interesting. maybe a villain. Yep. So, uh, interesting to follow. We'll, we hopefully we'll, we won't have to wait too long to find out. Although, as we said before, it looks, it's looking like, uh, fall of 2018 before we get to uh, start seeing the new doctor and the new companions. So, uh, with that, let's get into, uh, our, t- today's episodes. Uh, it's a two part episode, uh, the end of time. Uh, aired on Christmas Day uh, and the New Year's Day. Let's play, hear the sound of the trailer first, and then we'll uh, talk about the, a recap. And so it came to pass on Christmas Day that the human race did cease to exist. This was the day the Time Lords returned. Donna, get out of there! Just run! This is the Doctor's final battle. He must stand at arms or lose himself and all this world. <laughs> a rhythm of four. The heartbeat of a time lord. It keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. Donna, what was that? The master is going to kill you. And kill him first. Gallifrey rises! This should be spectacular. Wow! Get out there and find it! Yes, sir. sir. At last. Sometimes I think the Time Lord lives too long. That is the end of time, or at least the end of David Tennant's time on Doctor Who. Yeah. (laughs) So like I said, this was... uh, uh, aired on Christmas Day 2009, and then New Year's Day 2010 was the second part, which was a very interesting... I don't think that ever happened before, where they split a, a Christmas special over two episodes, like another one airing later. I don't... Was that ever... Did that ever happen before, do you know? Not that I'm aware of. Sweet. By the way, uh, something I wanted to mention um, just briefly, because... It if you don't fight these things, this kind of misinformation persists. But in the Timothy Dalton opening narration to the Christmas special, he refers to Christmas as a pagan holiday, and that yeah. is just that is just not true. There is no <laughs> historical evidence for that. Right. You hear this said all the time, and it is it is historically baseless. You mean it's not the the pagan holiday of the. Was it the the Yule log and the the rebirth well, the, the of sun, the sun? Yeah, like Saul sun, unconquerable sun. Yeah. yeah. The problem is that the <clears throat> that um, the 
while we do have evidence that there was some kind of celebration of the unconquerable on December 25th, in the earliest records we have, it's actually ambiguous whether they're talking about the sun or Jesus Christ. That was, yeah, I, I, I had made a note about that very specific uh, remark by Rassilon that uh, it, people gathered in pagan rites to banish the cold in the dark. And I'm thinking, yeah. what? That, that, no, that noise that you heard the uh, the weekend before we recorded this was the three of us simultaneously rolling our eyes as we watched that part of the episode. Yeah. Well, like I, mean, I just picture like all the people gathered in Britain and in America on Christmas Day in 2009, you know, with their Christmas tree and their presents and having gone to Christmas mass and having had the manger scene in yeah. front of them being told, no, it's a pagan holiday. Sorry, Christians. <laughs> yeah, what? it's ludicrous. I mean, even even if there were a pagan holiday on this day, which for a time there may have been. That doesn't make Christmas a pagan holiday. Right. It, just no. because pagans are doing something on the same day doesn't make a Christian thing a pagan thing. Right. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they, they would admit the name of it is Christmas. Christ. Christian. You know, Christ. Christ. You know, Mass. hello. <laughs> so. Um, so, yes. Thank you for, for clearing that up right off the bat, Jimmy, because that was my, that was my first uh, head exploding moment. Uh, so some of the interesting facts about this. Uh, two episode uh, finale for the season for, for uh, this doctor. Um, it would be the last appearance of the master for four years. So we wouldn't see the master again uh, until uh, the return of Missy with the, uh, the 12th doctor. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it was a two part a finale to a sort of season four of uh, new who specials. Yeah, it was, mm -hmm. there was a, if people remember, if you were, uh, were watching at the time, uh, in, in 2009, we had a sort of interim season of a handful of 10th Doctor specials uh, yep. spaced out over uh, a period of months uh, that then concluded with this. So the, the Doctor had left behind um, uh, Donna, sorry, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, it, it, at the end of the 2008 season, and then he traveled alone, basically through uh these what was it five episodes four well Something five like counting the two-parter the first one was the eminently forgettable planet of the dead yep. the second was the waters of mars yep. which was good that was good um then then we got the next doctor which was the first half of it is really good mm -hmm. and then we got this two-parter that's right that's right um so and then there was an animated did you ever catch the animated one that was uh took place in the american southwest there was a hmm. strange animated one that got released somewhere in there too that i, I ended up catching later uh it was uh, it was released online but it was but it was definitely um david Tennant and some others uh so a uh, couple other interesting facts just uh, about it uh, it's the last episode of the russell t davies era uh, uh russell t davies running the show uh Stephen Moffat would take over from this point, uh, and he wrote the last scene of the of the second uh, part of the the end of time, the the scene of of the regeneration with uh, the eleventh Doctor. Um, it's also the, features the last appearance of Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith. Um, I think that's that's it. I mean, there's a, so it's, I just found it very interesting. That, like this was a significant shift in Doctor Who in the production in the in the show. Uh, uh, probably akin to the shift that we're seeing right now, 
uh, at the yeah. end of the Stephen Moffat era. This is the closest parallel. So, uh, so what happens in this one? It's the do- tenth Doctor's final journey. He had received this prophecy of the uh, the one who will knock four times, and that will be his his end. Um, his uh, psychotic, uh, insane nemesis, the Master, has been resurrected on Christmas Eve. Um, more he- psychotic than ever. <laughs> yeah, right. Chewing more hungry than ever. Chewing more furniture and other things, than, than <laughs> or more scenery and other things, I should say. Um, they're both determined to cheat death, which is an interesting par- parallel that, that plays throughout this. Um, they start from the wastelands of London. Uh, they end up at the mysterious immortality gate. Um, the Ood are, are, are uh, here warning the doctor of this even greater danger approaching. Um, and then the, uh, the, the master with the sound of the drums in his head growing louder and louder. Uh, the doctor and Wilfred Mott, Donna's grandfather. They fight alone against this uh, threat of the master who uh, imprints his DNA on all six and a half billion human beings on the planet. Uh, there's uh, some plot holes in there, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, and um, sacrifices must be made. The deadly prophecy warns he will knock four times, and he does. Uh, so rather than like step through the whole show bit by bit, I figured we'd, because it's so much, and we'd be here for yeah. two hours. Uh, let's kind of take take this in uh, in chunks. Uh, the for, let's first let's talk about the the doctor and Donna in this one. So when we last saw Donna, she had he had wiped her memory because she had become the Doctor Donna. She had absorbed all of his brain power, uh, and you know, and, and um, how how exactly was did that go? Uh, if you recall, well, it was a Deus Ex Machina ending to the previous season, and in order. <clears throat> to keep from her being this because she was the actress was uh, was leaving the show <clears throat> and so to give an exit to her character they gave a kind of tragic exit where she had absorbed all this um time lord knowledge which a human brain is not meant to contain and she'd become this near omniscient being and gone into doctor super boasting overdrive mode mm-hmm. and arrogantly solved all of the plot problems at the last minute and then experienced a kind of burnout where she couldn't contain all of this and so just like when rose departed after having absorbed too much time lord stuff uh, now Donna has to depart after absorbing too much Time Lord stuff. The doctor fixed the situation in both cases. Here he does it by blocking her memories of him. And if she ever remembers, then her brain will catch on fire again and it'll be really bad. So she, we have this sad ending for bittersweet ending for her character where she's saved, but she can't remember the doctor ever or there will be problems. Okay. Uh, so, uh, in this episode, um, the 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 doctor and Wilfred kind of go through a bunch of machinations uh, to try to avoid her seeing the doctor because if she ever sees the doctor, um, you know the the memories will return. Memory. Right. So, yeah. um, so there's not a whole lot that happens with Donna in this. I mean, there's a couple of she's not really key to the plot. Put it that way, as far as I can recall. Uh, no, she's kind of there. One of the things that's a little disappointing <clears throat> is, um, you know, we first met her in the Runaway Bride Christmas special where she was kind of a narcissistic, 
21st century secretary. And then she had this adventure with the doctor, but didn't end up leaving with him. And then they brought her back to be a full-time companion. And she went with the doctor and had a lot of personal growth during the course of those adventures. And then now that she's lost the knowledge of all that, she's back to being a kind of comedic, narcissistic 21st century secretary. And she's like regressed as a person. The good news is she's found somebody new to to get married with, so she has the prospect of happiness, and that's nice for her. But I just feel sad watching this version of Donna because she's lost the spiritual and personal growth that she had during the course of her adventures. She was a very enjoyable... I really liked her. I liked her as a companion. Yeah. Because yeah. she was one of those, don't you even think about it, pretty boy, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, let's be honest. There was no hint of any relationship between the Doctor and Donna. And that left and she them... she made that clear that was not going to happen. Right. And, yeah. and it left them free to kind of develop a friendship that didn't have that baggage, uh, which, I mean, as, as much as I enjoyed some of the other companions, there was always that, that little bit of baggage that comes in that can kind of disrupt a friendship. It just feels like well-trod ground. Let's, let's have new, some new ground here. Um, and, exactly. It was nice to have a platonic friendship for a change. And frankly, Catherine Tate is hysterical. I just think she's so funny anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's enjoyable. So um, that's kind of why I want to bring her up. Uh, she does have that one moment where uh, the, she's being chased by the master clones. And uh, as she rem- she remembers, but now instead of her, her brain burning out, there's something else happens where the, it sends out this shockwave. That knocks her unconscious, but also knocks unconscious the uh, the master clones. And the doctor kind of just says, oh, do you think I leave my friend uh, uh, without a uh, booby trap for, you know, to some kind of defense safety yeah. device? Yeah, I think that's what he's uh, never. There's never any more explanation than that, which is a bit of a, no, a bit annoying, because mm-hmm. when you set up something as this is what's going to happen, this dire consequence, and then that dire consequence comes to comes in place and something entirely different happens and don't explain it that's really kind of annoying presumably this is the kind of i mean presumably this is a temporary stopgap you know kind of last last ditch thing to save donna that if if this didn't work her mind would catch on fire and Mm -hmm. there would be the bad consequences (coughs) yes okay yeah i i mean i can buy that it's just they didn't sell it in the in the episode yeah. itself which is partly because there's so much going on so yeah so that's there's not too much more with the doctor and donna there as we said that's too bad uh you know at the end there's that funny moment where she's unconscious and she said what did i miss did i miss something again I missed, yeah <laughs> kind of so, a regular that was kind of a regular her. meme of hers so. yes we, and then we get to see her af- just after she's gotten married at the end right um yes a really nice moment with donna her mom and wilfred uh, and the doctor's gift, essentially, uh, this final, this final gift. I, I, actually, I, 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 let's jump ahead to that just for the moment, which is, you know, what what is the one thing everyone with a time machine wants to do? We want to go and find out what next week's lottery numbers are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? And and so when you have the doctor and the time, lo- you know, a time machine for fifty years, is, this must be the first time he ever actually went and. And got next week's lottery number. Uh, I have to I have to assume, but it, I love the yep. the bit of payoff on that uh, that sort of uh, obvious use of the time. I, I I like how they don't how they how they don't actually say it. 
that that's what he did. Right. They imply it. Yeah. And I like that little, little bit of understatement. Yes, exactly. Uh, and of course, that really nice moment where he got the money to buy the ticket from, from uh, Donna's father, from Donna's father, which was a very nice moment um, uh, for Donna's uh, mom. You, you know, I have to say, Russell T. Davies doesn't like moms very much. <laughs> No, <laughs> and maybe I maybe not even Stephen Moffat either. But given what happened with Bill's mom, <laughs> too. yeah, we got yeah, exactly. Jack, we got Rose's mom, Donna's mom, uh, Martha's mom, <laughs> Jack, uh, Bill's mom. They've all been unsympathetic <laughs> characters to one degree or another. I know it's been really. I mean, they they're sort of naggy, uh, 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 harangue uh, sort of moms. Although, but although the scene where Donna's mom is out there yelling into thin air. Is yeah, rather yeah. comical. Who are yeah. you yelling at? Are you yelling at thin air? Yes, yes, I guess yeah. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about the doctor and Wilfred. I have to say, yeah. this this was the best part of this of these episodes for me was Wilfred. I I love Wilfred. Uh, in fact, oh yeah. Uh, if all the companions of New Who, uh, I would put Wilfred in my in my top five. Like of all the people who traveled mm -hmm. with the doctor. Uh, you know, I love Clara. I love uh, um, uh, Rory and uh, I love Wilfred. I mean, those are just even though this is technically the only time he actually traveled. Right. With the doc. Right. Right. So so this is the the episode or pair of episodes that push him technically into the companion category. That's Up right. to now, he's just been a recurring character. This is where he officially becomes a companion. And that that's such a great he, scene where the doctor's just going off and Wilfred's just staring around. He's like. <laughs> Oh, right. You haven't been in here before, have you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or when they're in the uh, the spaceship, uh, uh, the uh, Vinvachian spaceship, and he's just yep. staring at the window and the doctor comes back from like, come along, come along, gather some up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so let's let's, you know, frame what's going on with Wilfred here. So the by, by, by the way, before yep. we do that, I just want to mention that he actually the actor Bernard Cribbins, who plays Wilfred. Mm -hmm. Yep has a long history with Doctor Who. Um, he was in the original, uh, well, not the original, but the second of the 1960s Doctor Who movies uh, with Peter Cushing, Daleks, Invasion Earth, 2150 AD. And he plays a policeman in that who is a companion mm -hmm. in, in that movie. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to see Bernard Cribbins as a young man um, playing in Doctor Who, Go check out Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD. It's a, it's a nice part for him, and it's a neat chance to see the same actor who we love as Wilfred doing, uh, doing something in his prime, so to speak, physically. Okay, cool. Um, I, didn't, I didn't realize who was in that. That's, that's really, and, of course, we saw Wilfred, the character, um, in a previous Christmas uh, special uh, and uh, mm -hmm. in some other things mm -hmm. with, uh, in Donna's uh, season. So we, what we start with, we have um, Rassilon with the, uh, the narrative where he, he says, um, it's said that in the final days of planet Earth, everyone had bad dreams. Everyone, but everyone forgot their nightmares except Wilfred. For whatever reason, Wilfred um, is the one person in the world who's, uh, rem who's remembering this bad, these, prof I guess they're supposed to be prophetic dreams of the, of the master laughing. Of the master. Mm -hmm. I, so, and, and I get, I wonder if it's supposed to be a holdover from the alternate timeline in which uh, the Harold Saxon master had taken over and then uh, that timeline got undone. Uh, 
Maybe, but I think it's really just atmosphere by Russell T. Davis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no real plot logic here. Yeah. I was trying to think of like, what would it be? So he seeks solace in a church, uh, which is interesting for for his nightmare. Um, And he stands in, he he starts by standing in front of a memorial for the war dead. Uh, You know, there's this big Mm -hmm. engraving above him. and says, who died for their country? Which I found to be an interesting symbolism for, um, for this episode, given, you know, that for the doctor, you know, the 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 death of the his people, the 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 unending death uh, because they're time locked in the time war, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is is sort of hovers over him in a way that this memorial for the war dead hovers over uh, Wilfred here. Um, and then he sees uh, Wilfred sees a, a TARDIS in a stained glass window at uh, at the foot of a saint, uh, which I I don't think there was enough information for my, for me to figure out which saint it was supposed to be. Um, well, it was supposed to be the, uh, there was a monastery there and the, as the storyline talks about it, the right. doctor saved the, the, was it monks or was it sisters? It was sisters. Sisters. Yeah. Right. Sisters. Um, so I, I'm assuming that would have been the, the, the sisters who were there at the time. Well, it was actually a male saint that it was the TARDIS was sitting at oh, the foot it? of. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know, maybe St. Luke or something because but, the woman who appears, that, yeah, refers to him as the sainted that, physician. Yeah, that that yeah, I don't know. I didn't look at the last close enough to see if you know maybe it had been the doctor himself. Yeah, I was. It was an old it, old man. It wasn't the doctor. It was a. It was another saint. But that's we're getting into real <laughs> Catholic trivia weeds here. Yeah. I know. I know. I wanted yeah. to. I was. I, I didn't know if there was an Easter egg there, and I wanted to tease it out if there was one. And of course, this is mm-hmm. an Anglican church. So, but so this is where Wilfred gets his first like sort of vision of this of this woman um yeah who we will later find out is uh one of the time lords a time lady uh one of the two who vote against um displacing earth uh to bring back gallifrey um, yeah so but, she's on the council because she's got a vote okay yeah and so um but we don't re- really learn anything else about her not on screen. And the, in fact, at the end of the episode, Wilfred even asks the doctor point blank who she is and the doctor doesn't say. What we can infer from what we see on screen is that she's someone important to the doctor and that he trusts um, because there's a significant exchange of looks between the doctor and the woman. Um, but we're never told on screen who she is. Um, it, it therefore was natural for fans to speculate, well, could she be a regenerated version of Romana or Susan? And those are possible, but Russell Davies, behind the scenes, although he, he, he didn't make this canonical and hasn't said it definitively, said that when he wrote the part, he intended the woman, in his mind, to be the doctor's mother. And that um, that that's also apparently what the actress who played her was told she's playing, but they don't establish that on screen. And so it's open to interpretation. But since that was the intent of both the uh, the writer and the actress, um, that's who I assume it is in my head canon. So there's there's this this uh, connection between the doctor and Wilfred. Um, at one point, the doctor says, you know, we keep meeting Wilfred over and over again, like something's connecting us. Um, and in the same conversation, the doctor says, I'm going to die. Uh, and Wilfred sort of says, well, so am I someday. And, and, you know, and and don't you dare, says the doctor. And then he says something about he will knock four times. Sort of we're getting this premonition 
of the Knock Four Times. And so throughout this episode, we keep getting this 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 sense that the Doctor and Wilfred are connected uh, by by something by this prophecy, fate. Uh, exactly. Um, yeah. And in fact, by the, go ahead. But by the way, before we get to the good stuff between the Doctor and Wilfred, and there's some really good stuff. Yes, I mean, yeah. Wilfred's one of the best things about this two-parter. Um, we we have this introductory series where because Wilfred has had the memory of his bad dreams, he realizes he needs to find the Doctor, and he enlists a group of naughty old people to help him find the doctor. <laughs> right. And this is played for laughs, uh, but you've got this group of, you know, naughty old people, and it really falls flat for me. I don't yeah. find it funny. I find it annoying. Um, also, I think there's an even, it, while that's just annoying, I think there's a huge flaw in the writing that so easily could have been addressed on the dialogue level where when the doctor's having the conversation with Will about, you know, I'm going to die too and, and everything, and he t tells him about the knock four times prophecy. No, this is, this is information Wilfred of all people should not have on the writing level. Um, the doctor needs to tell somebody else or have a longer conversation with Ood Sigma about the he will knock four times prophecy. He should not be telling this to Will to Wilf, because Wilf, as we'll see, as we learn at the end, is the person who knocks four times. And and Wilfred, if he had known about the knock four times prophecy, would never have knocked four times. Exactly. Because he loves the doctor so much, he would not bring about the doctor's death. I guess we're supposed to think like from, from Wilfred's point of view, he's just knocking. He's like, um, excuse me, like. That his knock is, you know, you know, everyone has a knock, you know, whether it's your uh, uh, Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory, da 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 donna, da 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 donna, uh, or whether yeah. it's, or, or whether, you know what I mean, everyone has a knock. And so I think we're supposed to get that Wilfred's knocking on the glass at the end is just, right. he's not even it's thinking. Yeah. But, but because of the way they've set it up with Wilfred knowing this, the audience can't, it's a distraction to the audience. If Wilfred did not know about the knock four times prophecy. Right. It would be completely inadvertent on his part. Right. But since he's been told about it, the audience can't help but thinking, how can he be doing this? Why has he forgotten this incredibly significant thing the doctor told him? That's true. That's right. I can yep. see that. Um, th so let's get into the, to the really good parts with, with, the, with Wilfred, which is uh, in the second half, um, when they've transported up to the alien ship with the uh, the cactus people, I know that's racist, but I'll, I'll just call them the cactus. Oh, and that's <laughs> so great! That's so great. Where they there's there there. I mean, the it's a great satire of political correctness where the Vinvachi are um, sensitive about being confused with the other spiky headed people who yeah. are red instead of green. <laughs> And and then when when Wilfred makes the perfectly ordinary observation, they look like Terran cacti. It's like that's racist. <laughs> well, it wasn't even it wasn't even calling it cactuses. It was cacti that was racist. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but Wilf has some some great moments on this spaceship. Like first, he's his. You know, we know we've it's been established that he loves space and looking into space and astronomy, and he gets so excited like a, like a little kid. Uh, about being an astronaut, I'm an astronaut now. But it's a, he is his he is passionate. He's trusting. 
and his intentions are always good. Wilfred is yep. always good. I mean, yeah. he's such a, a good person. He's the, he's the mm-hmm. best person in this show, uh, in these two yeah. episodes. <laughs> in, in fact, of all of the companions thus far in Revive 2, he is the most selfless. Yes. He's more selfless than Rose. He's more selfless than Martha. He's more selfless than Donna. He is the most selfless companion we've had today. The, the closest Although, it would be Rory. Yeah, I was going to say Rory spending, you know, millennia standing well, guard by the. Yeah, but Rory is after this is yeah. what I mean, up to yes. this, up to this point. point in. Yeah, right. Of course. Yes. Um, we, we, we learn a little about about Wilfred, that he, he served in the British Army uh, in the Palestinian mandate in 1948. A little bit of history mm-hmm. um, after the World War Two, the Britain um, uh, occupied, controlled, oversaw uh, palace. What, what the, for- the former? Yeah, the former Ottoman Empire. Right. This right. area. And that yeah. included the Palestinian mandate included uh, present day Israel and the West Bank and Gaza and those mm-hmm. areas today. Jordan and Jordan. That's right. Yep. Um uh, and he evidently saw action, but never actually shot anybody. That's that he establishes that he never killed anyone, even in, uh, uh, mm-hmm. as he has his uh, service revolver with him there. Um, I kind of wonder about that because you see that in, I mean, handguns are like very not allowed in Britain. Right. But in TV shows, you frequently see soldiers having old service revolvers. And we've seen that here in Doctor Who. We've seen it in Sherlock. I wonder to what extent that's actually a thing or it, to what extent it's just TV license. It might, it's, I wonder if it's one of those things that it, it used to be a thing, but then as a grandfather. You know, uh, yeah. But as you know, things have gone along and they've been more and more controlling of, of any kind of firearm um, that stopped. Cause I, I would be very yeah. surprised if modern uh, modern soldiers would be able to keep their sidearm. I know yeah. of course here in the United States, that's not a thing. It, you, you are issued a weapon. Yeah. And you turn it back in when you, if you are yeah. in a position where you need it, you turn it back in when you no longer need it. Well, I was never yeah. issued a weapon, yeah. but it needed. But, but you, you, nevertheless, you know, firearms are freely available in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to England. Maybe, maybe some of our uh, British listeners could clarify that yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. And sh- as you mentioned, in Sherlock, Doctor Watson has his service revol- his service weapon. As as does uh, Major Shalto in the wedding episode, which is awesome. Right. Yes. Uh, I would say uh, did, uh, a little rat hole here. The single best hour of television ever I've ever seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so or hour and a half. Uh, so um, this is so again, continue with Wilfred and the doctor like the uh, Wilfred says, uh, uh, I mean, the doctor says, I would be proud if you were my dad. I mean, this is really nice moment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Wilfred kind of says because he loves the doctor he loves him like a son even though the doctor is 900 years older than he is um <laughs> kill him first you know kill the, he's trying to oh, entreat yeah. him to kill the master so that you can survive please don't die and the doctor says you yeah, but that's how the master started uh, which is an interesting uh, little reveal of the master um that it also is not consistent with what else they show us because we get this great glimpse into the the childhood of of the master where he like the doctor is made to look into the untempered schism and it breaks him and he has this sound in his head that is a new part of canon they're retconning this because it's never been mentioned before um but he has this Da 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 in his head, which we're later told is the sound of a Time Lord heartbeat, Correct. 
and it's a signal being sent from the last day of the Time War. And, of course, we know it's also the rhythm of the opening credits of the show, which is awesome. Yep, um, right. So it's it's really neat. But that's how the master starts is with him looking into the untempered schism and it breaking him. To be fair, um, to be fair, we can argue that the doctor did not realize that at the yeah. time this line was set. True. So he just well, saw that the that where, where the master started was his first time taking up arm. We could also say that it, there's two different things. So we, the the looking into the untempered schism breaks him as a child, but where, when he really becomes the master when he starts being evil um might have been when he takes his first life right when he takes a life right. that yeah. could have been two, like two separate things i think um the, go ahead this is also just and i'm one of y'all would probably say this anyway but this is to my mind the best bit of this conversation is like for me the high point of the whole thing because you have wilfred pleading with the doctor to save his life here. He's being eminently reasonable and it would be totally morally defensible. I mean, this is, this yep. would be killing in self-defense. So um, there's no moral problems here. He's offering the doctor the gun repeatedly and the doctor, because of the life choices he makes, refuses. But then the <laughs> doctor learns the time lords are coming back and he just without saying anything snatches the gun right. yeah and and it's like such a pivot dramatically in the conversation leading up to it this to me is the emotional climax i mean we have something of a climax later but this is the emotional moral climax of the two parter right so yeah so the doctor goes from like a line like I've taken lives, I got worse, I got clever, I manipulated people into yeah, taking their referring own. Referring to Sylvester McCoy. Yep. Right, exactly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um you know, sometimes I think a time lord lives too long. I mean this is he's very he's very like standing on this moral ground about I will never use a weapon. Um I I will not take a life. And then and then boom. <laughs> um the time was returning. Grabs the weapon. Give me the gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I mean, it's just like it's it's this, you know, that there are times when a man must, you know, stand up and t and take up arms in defense uh, against a great evil. When it's when it's his own life on the line, he's willing to to lay it down without without violence. But when other lives are on the line, when when the lives of all human beings that the doctor has come to love. Uh, around the line, now he will take up arms. Exactly. And and elsewhere in the universe, because the time war yep. was a huge threat to the entire universe. And what what his taking of the gun does, even though it's a very small act physically, is it communicates to the audience what an enormous threat the Time Lords must be if exactly. he's willing to ditch all of his commitments for the, for the sake of stopping them. Uh, there's an interesting... Uh, well, we'll talk about that when we talk about the the, the Doctor and the Time Lords. Um, so then we go through the whole the whole uh, bit where he confronts the Master, confronts the Time Lords. Uh, the Doctor has survived both the Master and the Time Lords. He's laying on the ground, and he's like, "I've In done pain, it, but still alive." Yes, I I've survived. <laughs> yeah, I've. You get this? He's happy. Yeah, <laughs> he's amazed. And then he hears da 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 da, and it's yeah. on the glass. And it's Will, poor Wilfred, who the only reason. So Wilfred is in the uh, the the nuclear bolt control room. Uh, the nuclear bolt is a, a, a Vinvachian technology connected to the immortality gate, um, and it requires um, two people 
to alternate it being in the booth, and it's a fail-safe mechanism so that uh, the person who's in there can't get out until there's someone in the other side uh, who locks the door and unlocks their side of the door, unlocks the other. So once Wilfred is in there, he can't get out. And Wilfred's in, only in there because as he came in to save to see the doctor, uh, this poor technician was like banging. Was the, trapped. Yeah, it was trapped. Let me out. And so Wilfred, being the guy he is, went in and saved and, him. And not knowing that he would himself be trapped. Exactly. Yep. Um, and so now he's in there and he's like, um, doctor, uh, could you let me out now? It's, I need to get out. Yeah. And think of, and it's a great moment, but think how so much greater it would be if we didn't have the distraction of wondering, has Will forgotten the four Knox prophecy? Yeah, Why is he right, doing this? Right. And the doctor's response is, um, you know, I could, I could do so much more, but this is my reward. This is what I get. Like he, at first he's sort of angry. He's sort of angry at the universe. He's, Maybe even a little angry at it's, Will. I have to admit, yeah. I, I've always almost thought he of it is. like a temper tantrum. Right. You know, the doctor almost tantrum. throws a temper tantrum at this point. Of, I am so much more than you. You're nobody. You're insignificant. Yeah. I can do so much. Da, da, da. But then realization comes in and he, he gets over it and he goes, but you know what? It's my honor. Right. And, and Wilfred's yeah. saying my life for you. Yeah. Wilfred's saying, no, go. Don't open the door. Let me die here. I will die for you. And I'm an old man. I've had my time. Right. Which is mm -hmm. ironic, given that the doctor is now yeah, hundred exactly something years old. Vastly older. But the, this, I mean, this, I mean, we're, you know, we, we talk about where, where uh, you know, the secrets of Doctor Who, we look at the deeper meanings and hidden understandings. And we often look at for the Christian uh, elements that we can find in, in popular culture. And this is one of those moments where it really stands out that the doctor is a Christ figure, you know, where mm -hmm. he is, he has an, essentially an infinite life. He's immortal. He has the most impressive life. He saves galaxies. He saves the universe. And he's willing to give his life as, as much as he knows. I mean, whether he, whether he regenerates or not, but he's willing to give his life to save Wilfred, who's so relatively unimportant compared to him. Just like Christ goes to the cross to save even one of us, you know, and that's, that's that. Yeah, but... Christ didn't throw a temper tantrum in the Garden of Gethsemane. No, but he but he did say he did say. I mean, well, I mean, the Doctor isn't Christ in that sense. He's not pur right. pure, virtu purely virtuous. Uh, but the, the, there was that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where you know, Lord, if, if it be possible, let if this cup pass. If it's your will, if it's let your, this cup pass from me. Right. So yeah. there's even there's that moment of, um, you know, if emotional reaction. Yeah. If I and if I course, don't have yeah. to go through this. Uh, you know, of course, I'd rather know, not. In, any analogy, if you push it far enough, falls flat. Right. Right. Nobody but, else is Christ it, but Jesus. That's that's yeah. um, right. So I'm not blaming the doctor for that. Uh, I, what I, the point I wanted to make is that um, the tenth doctor, even though much of the time he's you know this boyish, outgoing figure, he really is very much like Peter Davison's uh, fifth doctor. He's outwardly he's he's young, he's attractive, he's gentle, he's more humble than many of the other doctors. But he also has this harsh streak, which yep. um, which uh, Peter Davison's doctor Davison's doctor also had, and it comes out, and it's been coming out. Uh, it, it, someone pointed out that it's actually there in his first appearance in his original Christmas special, uh, The Christmas Invasion, where um, he 
uses the six words to undo the golden age of uh, right. Harriet Jones. And and he 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 takes that responsibility upon himself. And then for all of his boyish charm, he his character arc is one that goes dark, you know, yeah. to where in the waters of Mars, he's the Time Lord triumphant. He's decided to cast off Time Lord morality and make, you know, fateful decisions about mm-hmm. the universe for himself. And his is, uh, his is and really it, where the where the, the doctor blustering really started is during his, you know. Yeah, we saw yeah. in a. Um, Christopher Eccleston, where he talked about you know, the on, oncoming storm and all that, translated as the oncoming storm. That was okay, whatever. But it was under David Tennant that he really started getting into this. I'm the greatest thing in the world. I, you know, the universe, yeah. all space and time. I'm the oncoming storm. Blah, 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 and goes on and on and on and on and on. That's where it started. Matt Smith could yeah. even made it worse at points, I think. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as we've said, and as I've said, this is one of my least favorite aspects of the writing of the show is the boasting overdrive mode. But this moment here, we see the two sides of David Tennant's doctor. Rest, we see him wrestling with himself because he does have the selfish, I'm so great, I could do so much more than you, Wilf. This is what I get. Um, but but he nevertheless goes through with it and does make the self-sacrifice. And so this is really, in a way, his redemption exactly. from all of the selfishness that has been a part of his character arc as well. Yes, uh, very interesting. I'm just trying to think of, um, well, I had a thought, but uh, let's, let's move on because we've got so much left to ca- uh, cover. Um, yep. So. So uh, is there anything left to say about the Doctor and Wilfred? Uh, any uh, bits left? I mean, I think that really kind of covers. Uh, we can, yeah. we can cover a lot more, but Wilfred's just awesome. So watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> uh, and, and like we, we already talked a little bit about the, the uh, ending with the wedding. Uh, we'll talk a little bit, maybe a little more about that as we talk about the regeneration itself. Um, so let's talk with the Doctor and the Master in this one. And we had John Sim again. And honestly, as much as sometimes John Sim is over the top in his acting, I have to say yeah. he has a tough role role here in this episode because when he's cloned mm-hmm. all over the place, he has to kind of like <laughs> react and act differently and as different people. Um, but even in a few moments where where he's where he's, the doctor's confronting him, the doctor's trying to connect with him. Um, you, mm-hmm. you sometimes see like Sim kind of play that scene where where he'll have these emotions play across his face. Like he'll go from uh, crazy angry to, to uh, fearful and sad to hopeful uh, mm-hmm. it, all in the, just, just by the expressions on his face. Um, and I, I mean, I, f- I feel like I got to give John some credit uh, yeah. in this one for, for all of that, for all the craziness that we see as well. John Sim in this, I, I like, I think this has, so we've kind of met him once before when he was Harold Saxon. Mm-hmm. And um and that I was not wild about. I didn't I didn't think that was the great. Um the here I think we he goes both better and worse. Um in the initial thing where he's back from the dead and he's you know, we see his skeleton periodically shining out through him and he's ravenously hungry and he's over the top crazy that I like. 
he's a very compelling character at that point. And his conflict with the doctor where they're fighting in the junkyard and everything, and then he zooms off into the sky. I mean, it makes very little sense, but it's very dramatically compelling. I really like that. Then we have the whole master race nonsense. And this, you you can't put that down to John Sim. That's all Russell T. Davis. Yes. Yeah. And Davies. And it's terrible. The whole master race thing where he becomes everybody in the world almost is nonsensical. It's it's cheap. It It is. It's bad drama. Even the babies um, don't. Yeah. I, mean, I, I do not <laughs> well, like it even, at all. Well, they even um, ask about, you know, how about the, the, the people in the graves? Will fast yeah, about the people in the grave. He is. They and imply the he yeah, is. Doctor says, "I'm so sorry." You know, like yeah, that happened too. Yeah, and it's not the last time. Unfortunately, the Doctor Who franchise will abuse the Earth's dead. <laughs> yeah, um, and 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 President Obama even makes a, an appearance in this well, briefly till he's turned into the master, which is another huge distraction. Oh, I mean, because that just brings real world politics into it, and whether, no matter what you think, it's a distraction. Well, he'll lead well, us into um, a new era to, of prosperity. Well, to, to be fair, this is this was well, this was in the middle of the Great Recession, say, Obama's yeah. golden era. When yes. he was first elected, you know, um, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it. It's just there was a point when he was first elected that he was like the second savior of the world. I'm sorry that that really was how people saw him. Right. And that's exactly what this was. But it comes up several times, too. The food truck lady yes. says Obama has promised to end the recession. And, you know, and then the, the whole press conference, he's going to introduce some, you know, this thing that's going to fix everything. Like, yes. Oh, my God. Well, that's what every politician says. Why do you want to believe it this time? Uh, on yeah. Christmas Day, by the way, yeah. is when he's going to do it. Uh, yeah, the like that would happen. Yeah. The the um, uh, oh, one other point about the whole master race thing. Um, so there's a, there a, there are a number of plot holes here. One of them is so they do or don't have the same mind. I mean, clearly. John Sim's main master, the master prime, if you want to call him that, mm -hmm. is not inside the head of all the other masters. No. And no. at and at times when he when he's got the Vinvachi guy with his helmet on, he doesn't even realize it's not another master. Right. So they were like the clones. Basically, they were clones where although uh, they were him <laughs> and they acted the same and they thought the same. But he still had to communicate with them yeah. using things like, you know, Skype. But it's not consistent yeah. and, and because there are other times not, when he's sort of we're all of one mind uh, sort of yeah. thing. And and then there and also and here's another plot hole. They're not consistent about acting the same way because the master is a megalomaniacal psychopath. Yes. Exactly. If you turned everyone in the world into a megalomaniacal psychopath, they would not all get along and cooperate with each other the way the masters right. are cooperating well, in this film. And then there's the whole thing of how how he tracks down where the signal of the four beats is coming from is all of them linked together telepathically to triangulate right. where it's coming from. Right. Yeah. yeah this so was there's... this was huge plot holes in all this altogether well frankly so it did have that yeah. i, I that felt the whole scene. naismith th thing was all uh tacked on i like i didn't understand yeah. the whole like the 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 naismith and his daughter uh the immortality gate the you know yeah. the, the fact that they knew they needed the master somehow like it's all an excuse to to get the master doing stuff right mm -hmm. it just wasn't it wasn't developed properly to to really sell it so it was it was kind of you know, papered over a little bit. I, I have to yeah. say, by the way, about yeah. the whole like the the master being starving thing. 
I just find it kind of gross. It's is like yeah, it is gross. Every like <laughs> yeah, you know, he's the a point. Fat melting butter of meats and like, I'm like oh, <laughs> I can think I'm not hungry all now all I, could, all I could think though was my precious <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, oh, very much another, like a golem type character there's, an, there's another Lord of the Rings parallel which we can get to later <laughs> right but, um, so apparently the doctor and the master can track each other by smell I noticed that as well that they, they end up sniffing for each other but let's well it's 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 kind of been established so that the time lords can kind of sense each other yes. though it doesn't seem like yeah. like a you know a homing beacon or something like that but it's like they can they can know something's different about this person right let's go back to the beginning it's, of the master here where we find out that he survived um being you know his body being cremated by the doctor uh through this ring somehow uh his dna was in the ring he had maybe perhaps uh in some of his essence put his essence into the ring like sauron another lord of the rings <laughs> reference yep. um and then there was this group of so it's another story about a bad ring yep oh, right and yeah. people who are after it so and, and then there are these women who are this cult who are willing to die for the master to come back like who were these women like i didn't like i i was kind of lost there i didn't understand because again Nobody on Earth remembers Harold Saxon, the whole Harold yeah. Saxon episode. You know, episode. So, who are these women who are willing to die for the Master? Uh, yeah, it's another another plot hole. Yeah. Okay. So, it, and 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 his wife is back, but she kind of. I mean, she was at least at the center of these events. Correct. So, if you're at the center of the events, you tend to remember them when time gets rewritten. Maybe, I mean, we can headcanon that these women were the same kind of thing. Yeah. That they right. were like his secret harem or something when he was the prime Servants minister. Or something like yeah. that. You. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, another point the doctor discusses his father's estates back home. Do you remember, if you remember that, you know, uh, mm -hmm. do you remember my father's estates? Um. So there's this, there's this whole theory, fan theory, that the Doctor and the Master are actually brothers. Um, and if he's yeah, saying they are in my head canon. So if he's talking about his father's, <laughs> my father's estates, that's sort of a way of uh, the the way you phrase it sort of excludes the Doctor from having this. Could, could be their half brothers, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're at least childhood friends, so we know that at, at, at the minimum. Um, and we do know that the Doctor is a half human, so maybe that's what it is. Well, that's disputed. As well. <laughs> Sorry, had to, had to throw that in there. Had to throw that in there. Uh, so, um, the the master hijacks the immortality gate for himself uh, to to fix himself. He's burning up. Uh, the doctor says that uh, the way that he returned uh, is it, it's it's uh, it's burning up his body. There's too much energy or something like that, and something needs to be fixed. Um, so uh, that's why he he needed the, uh, to hijack the immortality gate for himself, um, and then he has this plan um, that he's going to take over the human race. Uh, like we said, this weird um, clone make everybody his own clone, uh, and it's he's going to use the human race as sort of a mercenary army that he hires out, which was kind of as a callback to uh, the the war games uh, with the second Doctor. Uh, which is mm -hmm. what that the war chief and that that race uh, uh, was trying to do with the human race. So it's sort of a, a, a callback to that. Um, but one thing I always find interesting is, is the doctor never gives up on the master. 
he he's he, he's always redeemable from the doctor's point of view. He's you know whatever the doctor whatever the master does, the doctor is willing to forgive him, is willing to take him back, is willing to help him convert. No matter what, there's always there's always yep. something there. Again, it's another and, Christian element and, that that uh, that mercy and forgiveness. It's also set up by the master's behavior, because uh, all the way back to the Roger Delgado master, the original, the master has had this love-hate relationship with the doctor where he has, you know, done bad things, but then turn around and been generous to the doctor mm-hmm. and and want to impress the doctor and, and want to be partners with the doctor. So that's not unprecedented. And then at the uh, at the end, when... Uh we find out that the the time lords have engineered this um uh, this this safety this uh, last ditch plan to save themselves from the 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 uh, uh the time lock uh, at the end of the time war uh they reach back in time to in, you know into his brain so that at the moment he looked into the untempered schism uh as a child they put this drum beat in his head this this that connects him to the end of end of time essentially um and and it's this uh drumbeat this connection that sort of drives him crazy kind of makes the master and um and then the the, the it becomes um when the master figures it out it's so very complicated because when he goes from the wanting to have a mercenary army to oh instead i'm going to bring back gallifrey <laughs> because he got the white point diamond uh the white point star um and so he, you know, builds this device to connect them. And so, but I, what I want to bring bring up is is this moment where the doctor stands between the master and the time lords with the gun, and he's got to decide who does he shoot? Yeah. Does he shoot Rassilon? Does he shoot the master? Um, and he sort of kind, yeah. kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. And as we follow the reasoning process, yep, and of why he's pointing the gun in each direction, and it's a re- it is a nice moment. Yes, uh, you know, because we're, we're following along. Okay, shoot the master. That makes sense. But wait, maybe there's a rationale for shooting Rassilon instead. Yep. And then back to the master. Only it's not the master. It's even cleverer than that. Yeah. Right, right. And and it's there's an interesting interplay with the master where it, it, he's even saying like, "Go ahead, shoot me, shoot me." Like he's sort of daring him, and then he's sort of begging him. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he no, no, really, you do it. Just, just do it. Just almost like just yeah. end my suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another and the master is willing to self-sacrifice to stop right. the Time Lords in the end. I mean, he's he he plays both sides. Right. But at the end, he's willing to self-sacrifice because he's realized the Time Lords are going to destroy the universe so they can ascend to some higher plane. And he's going to be left behind anyway. So he's willing to die to stop them. <clears throat> and it's another aspect <laughs> of the kind of duality of the master where, yeah, he's crazy. And yeah, he can be evil, but he can also be he can also be better than that. Yeah, this is this is one place where, you know, John Sim acting really does come out because, you know, at that when the doctor's pointing the gun at him and says, move out of the way, he's got kind of this look on his face. And then all of a sudden gets a big old smile like, (laughs) ah, I know what you're doing. (laughs) And and then they bring back the same line when he tells the doctor to get out of the way and he does his four big energy knocks. Yep. Right. Uh. So and then that's what you know we we see uh, essentially what we think is the the end of the master the end of John Sim, 
uh, as the master. Basically jumps in, jumps into the time lock. Right. Yep. Uh, and that's it. He's gone forever. Or not. <laughs> or until not. last season. <laughs> right. Or a couple seasons ago. Well, John Sim has gone until last season, right? Um, yep. So... So that's the, the, the Doctor and the Master in this uh, episode. So let's talk about the Doctor and the, uh, the Time Lords. So uh, we mentioned the, the, the Time Lady, who for some reason, in some way, is sort of connecting with Wilfred. And we, we mm-hmm. kind of speculated maybe she's the Doctor's mother or whatever. But I- Notice she's also able to get out of the Time Lock. Yeah. She's been floating around in Wilfred's life. Well, e- either get out of the time lock or at least um, project herself. Somehow. You know, it doesn't really right. establish that she's actually there. So she could just be a mental projection, you know, an image that he's seeing. Because, of course, she shows up in the TV briefly a couple of times. Right. Yeah. So, During the Queen's speech. So she's doing things the other Time Lords don't seem to be able to do easily, though. But what is she doing? Like, what is it? <laughs> like, I-, I-, I don't know if I missed, like, what it is she actually sets up with Wilfred. What is. What does she actually accomplish? I think she, I, I mean, really, I think she's atmosphere, but, um, and to add mystery to the show, but on the, on the plot rationalization level, what she's doing is nudging Wilfred in his quest to help the doctor because she, she's initially there before Wilfred starts out to find the doctor. And she's talking to Wilfred also, as we go along about, are you a soldier the doctor is going to need to fight and things like that. And she's prepping Wilf to prep the doctor for what he's going to need to do. So, um, and then there's the, uh, of course we need to talk about Rassilon. Um, we, we've talked about him yeah. in other episodes, uh, where, where he's appeared, um, uh, especially in so for, hell bent, but yeah. So for people who don't know, Rassilon is one of the two great time Lord founding figures. The other is Omega. Um, they're kind of the founders of Time Lord civilization. And Omega went off to an antimatter, was trapped in an antimatter dimension and was revered as a hero on Gallifrey, even though he became evil in reality. Rassilon was left in our universe and was like their founding leader. He's kind of the George Washington of Time Lords. Yep. And, um, and so seeing him here is, interesting they don't initially tell us who he is we just know it's some time lord being played by timothy dalton so he must be important he seems to be the president and leader of the council but rasslon lived in the distant past and so apparently the time lords just like they recreated the master during the time war they also apparently brought back rasslon somehow to lead them in their time of great need and that's why he's here and then in the second part, they blow the reveal where um, where uh, David Tennant refers to Timothy Dalton as Rassilon. And so now we know who he is. OK. And I mean, I, what do you think of Timothy Dalton in this role? I mean, you know, he, he played he's played James Bond. He's a well-known, very big actor. He's a, he's a good bad guy with lots of spit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he makes a great narrator. I mean, he's got the voice for a narrator. Yes, he really yeah, does. he does. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed him. I mean, I think it's I, I, I've always oh, yeah. enjoyed Timothy Dalton. I liked him in this role. He made a, a, a good bad guy uh, here. Yep. Um, maybe uh, maybe a once in future uh, doctor. Who, who knows? Could be interesting. Mm. Uh, be very interesting. 
so most of most of the time lords it you know mainly show up in the second part of this two part uh episode mm-hmm. um the you know we're at the end of the time war we see Gallifrey under attack uh, we see uh the the dome of the city uh destroyed and the and all of the uh, dalek ships crash around um and there we we also get more information about the time war than we've ever had before it's still just little teeny bits mm-hmm. but we learn about there's something called the scaro degradations and the nightmare child and the could have been king with his army of never wases and you know something like mean that mean wases and never um, words yeah yeah but it still is very evocative. It's very intriguing, but it's also mm-hmm. just little scraps. And we really, even though we have a few images here, it we still don't get the kind of glimpse, which is even then small, that we get finally in the 50th anniversary special for right. Day of the Doctor. So we don't, so I was, that was going to be my question. We don't know what any of these things are, the de- scar degradations, the horde of travesties. That's all just n- names of things thrown out there. Yeah, they've explored some of them in spinoff literature, but basically that's just stuff Russell Davies came up with because it sounded cool. And it does. Sound it cool. does sound. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, yeah, I kind of presume that some of them might be other kinds of Time Lords, like the Nightmare Child and the, the Could Have Been King. Or devices. Or, yeah. Devices or conflicts. You know, there could have been, you know, like we. Yep. Yep. You know, Gettysburg battle and things like that, where we mark specific conflicts. Okay. It could be the same kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. So uh, the uh, one thing I want to point out is the Time Lords have the same architects and the same uh, uh, building codes as the Imperial, the Empire in Star Wars, because <laughs> it looks a lot <laughs> like alike, doesn't it? They don't have railings on high catwalks either. Like you know, if you fall, it's your own fault. You know, we'll we'll replace you. And and the Senate is the the big tiered with the, the platforms for everyone circular platforms <laughs> exactly expected to see one of them float up as someone was speaking you know uh, yeah you know, an E T on it that would be funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's just an aside the doctor we find out they they say the doctor still possesses the moment uh, which is something yeah. that will come up in the fiftieth anniversary was that just a line at this point did had we ever heard of the moment before. My understanding is it was just a line, and they later explored it, I believe, in some spinoff literature and gave a different understanding than the one we finally got um, on screen. But it's it's just another line Okay. Um, at this point. And we have this uh, uh, the seer, the, uh, the prophet. She's uh, the visionary, the visionary, furiously writing. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, you would. The idea that uh, a race of time lords, uh, you know, with a billion years of history, there would be people who would have a particular connection to the to the time uh, stream um, to to see certain things. Uh, And that's what she apparently does. Yeah. And she I really like that character. She's she seems to have a conscience. Uh, also like the time lady who Timothy Dalton obliterates. Um, but she seems to have a conscience and she's really creepy and she's got those drawings or tattoos all over her and she's doing the da 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 thing with her fingernails on the table and she's really cool. It's also very ironic that you would have a prophetess among a race of time travelers because if you've got time travel, what do you need prophecy for? <laughs> <laughs> right. Just go look for yourself and come back. Right. Exactly. exactly. Well, when you have all of time and space, that's a lot, a lot to cover. So maybe that she, she's like, she sees the particular moments that they need to go to. Yeah. 
And then it's still, the whole it's thing still... about the time stream and how you know, certain events happen concurrently, even though they're millions of years different. Right. And, you know, I mean, the, the show really likes to kind of play with that idea of let's, let's make it so that there's still a linearity to the time travel. Yeah, and and I love I I like the fact that you do have this mystical figure here. Mm-hmm. They're you know even if their head canon has some kind of okay, it's some kind of scientific mysticism that gives her her abilities. It still it still has the trappings of mysticism. Yep, and I I like seeing that. I like the irony of this these technological people having this mystical figure that they're relying on. So just a couple last points about the Time Lords here. Um, what, what's a white point star? We, you, it, it was this jewel. Is, was there it's a new, a new thing? brand new thing. It's just a diamond that only comes from Gallifrey. And the only reason they give it that special name is so that the doctor can recognize it as a physical thing that's come from Gallifrey. Because, yep. see, now, as I'm watching this show and not having the background when I, was, when I first watched it, I'm like, Wow, there's all kinds of history about Gallifrey and the Doctor Who. And apparently, nope. you know, nope, Russell D. Davies made it all up right, right in wholesale in this episode. Um, yeah, it really doesn't touch a lot on the history of Gallifrey that we've seen in the classic series at all. Okay. No. So Gallifrey appears in the sky. It's gigantic and it's red and people think it's going to crash into Earth, which it apparently will. I'm not sure what that would do and- to Gallifrey, but... And they have established previously that, like, plant life on Gallifrey is red. Yes. That does come from Classic Who. Yes, yes. Um, uh, everyone runs runs around crazy. I'm not sure everyone is going um, now that Gallifrey is about to destroy the Earth. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's the standard advice. Yeah. When in danger or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, Rassilon reveals that the, the, his ultimate plan to end the time war, uh, as we said, is to destroy time and space itself. And so the time Lords could ascend its pure consciousness. Um, and this was what the doctor wanted to stop at the end of the time war was this plan. Uh, the, the final it's, it's interesting how it sounds a lot like the final solution, uh, yep. which was, hence he takes the gun. Yes. Um, you know the, the 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 idea is we'll save ourselves by destroying everyone else, um, yep. which the master is okay with right uh, at first. It's like, oh, okay, I'm I'm in, I'm I'm in on the plan. And Rasslin's like, I'm not taking you with us. I don't want to. You are diseased. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not taking you to eternity. That's for sure. You're you're a weird. We may, we may have messed up your life, but we don't want you around anymore. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> big mistake by Rasslin on that one. Uh, and so uh, the 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 doctor uh, managed to shove them back into the time lock. Uh, the master jumps in after them uh, and goes back with them. And and that's the last we see of Gallifrey until the 50th anniversary special. I find it, again, interesting that in that special, the day of the doctor, uh, there's no mention of the master there. I mean, later on, it's established that the master gets healed by the Time Lords yeah. and then goes off and as Missy, uh, you know, ends up as Missy, but, but there's no, like the, the doctors in the, in, in the, the 50th anniversary that never comes up, you know, Hey, uh, by the way, is the master around on a, on a writing? I mean, on a human level, they might ask on a writing level. Um, there's so much going on there that if you don't bring the master into the plot, it's better not to refer to him. Right. Right. That's true. Um, and then, uh, just a cup before we get to the regeneration itself, uh, 
I just wanted like a couple of different bits. Uh, I, I can't go without again mentioning the Vinvachi. Uh, who who were yeah sort of in this they were <laughs> they were great they, who were they trying to like this whole other layer of plot where they were trying to hijack yeah. the immortality gate for themselves. Um, yeah. They they rescue the doctor quote unquote and as as they're wheeling him away without removing him from the chair he's yelling out worst rescue ever you ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is a great Simpsons uh, reference yes. uh, it's so awesome. Uh, uh, I just I get a kick out of that that gal is like. You wrecked the place. <laughs> yes. I mean, she was just, she was upset. Yes. She, <laughs> I mean, yeah. she, she was pretty mad at the doctor. They're, the the Vinvachi really kind of don't on on one level they they it seems to me they don't really work in this episode they're kind of extraneous like you mentioned some of the other elements are but they're a lot of fun they yes. just they're very enjoyable they are uh, and I do like the the scene where Wilfred and the uh, the male Vinvachi are uh, in the laser pods shooting down missiles like uh, Luke and Han oh, in the Millennium Falcon. Oh, totally Falcon. Star Wars. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I wondered what you thought of that one. <laughs> that was awesome. And 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 then after they drop Wilf off, they just vanish from the plot. They leave Earth. Yep. They're, <laughs> We're done. <laughs> They're We're gone. Done. They're out of here. <laughs> so the Doctor's regeneration starts, but like the 12th Doctor, um, he holds it off. Uh, and like uh, the yeah. the uh, the fifth doctor, fifth doctor. Uh, but this is by far the longest it's ever gone. Right. He, to this point, he sort of says, "My reward is to go is essentially to go visit all of his prior companions and and do something nice for." Him. Right. So, yep. uh, you know, let's first he drops off Wilfred with uh, uh, Sylvia is is her name, Donna's mom. Yep. Um, and she comes out and she's all glad to see them because they saved the world. And I love this line. Oof, she's smiling as if today wasn't bad enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the way, we sh I should note here we come to the other Lord of the Rings uh, parallel that I referred to earlier. Um, this this has more endings than the Return of the King. <laughs> it does. You know, it's, it's wow. Both of these really get stretched out. I mean. I've seen some some things that have too little post denouement, but this is really this is pushing it. Yeah. Um, and some of the things we see here, like where he talks to Verity Newman. Yes. I mean, that's something that's an obscure. This is a new character based on an obscure character. Most people will have forgotten. Exactly. And right. um, and so you really could have cut that to the point where she has uh, to explain to this extra what her book that she wrote about her mother her great grandmother was about grandmother oh yeah. by the way she was you know that one uh now it was kind of a nice nice thing because verity newman came from verity lambert who was the original producer of doctor who yep and sydney newman sydney newman who was the the he was the head of bbc drama at the time that doctor who was greenlit right yeah and the episodes they're referring to are ones it's uh Human Nature and the Family of Blood, and it's the one where the Doctor has used a pocket watch to transform himself into a human being in the early 20th century, and he right. doesn't remember he's a Time Lord. Right. Um, which which and, is a plot line that later plays into the Master returning to the series. Right. Um, also, and so the the great-grandmother, or the grandmother they're referring to here, is the nurse he falls in love with who is played by the same actress as this Verity Newman character. 
also in the in in that original uh, episode where he's been turned into a human and he's going by the name John Smith <clears throat> on his birth certificate or on some document they show his parents' names are listed as Verity and Sydney. Oh wow! Which is really neat considering who created the show. Oh, yep. that's funny. That's funny. Uh, I don't know if you caught because I caught it, but I see it every single time I watch this episode. Uh, the actress doesn't actually write anything in the book. <laughs> like you can see Correct. the pen, she's autographing. Yeah, the pen yep. is about uh, two <laughs> inches above the page as you hear the writing <laughs> by the Foley artist. The, the Foley artist is like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm going to just make the sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he visits Mickey and Martha, who uh, apparently have yeah, gotten married. They're married now. They're a great and couple. And become action heroes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he saves them from a Santaran who is taking aim at them. Um, we, he's, with a rubber mallet. He yeah, saves a, a smack his breathing <laughs> port in the back. Yeah. I love that little like it's like an exhaust port on the Death Star, that little uh, hole there. On the yeah. Back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he saves Luke Smith, uh, the son of Sarah Jane Smith, from getting hit by a car, which is which was it's apparently a, a reference to something that that uh, fans always pointed out about uh, the Sarah Jane Chronicles TV show, which is that the kids in that were always just running into the street without looking. Yeah, no. <laughs> and so this was sort of a oh, by the way, <laughs> yeah. stop doing that. <laughs> That's how they always survived. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, then we have the Cantina Bar again, another Star Wars reference uh, with Captain Jack. Um, I, I wasn't a yeah. This is another sequence that, we could have lost. Yeah. Well, and that that looked to me like Russell T Davies said, "Let's pull out all the creatures that I created for Doctor Who." Yes, because mm -hmm. you had the fish guys with the little bubble things. You had the the rhinos that everything ended in O and all these other creatures. Yeah. And they're all creatures that were created under Russell T. Davies. Yeah. Era. The Jadoon, the, the Raxacalifrakamakanans from the, you know, the Slothene family. The Slothene family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then this whole, the Lieutenant Alonzo was from the, uh, the Christmas episode with the, uh, space Titanic. Voyage of the Dam. Yeah, Voyage of the Dam. Yep. Um, you know, could have done without that, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I agree. This this was a uh, scene that that di it didn't have the emotional weight of any of the others, no. uh, and it just seemed out of place. Um, and then, yeah, even even the visit with Verity Newman. I mean, there even if you've forgotten that story, that it's there's pathos conveyed in the dialogue because the doctor, as he gets the autograph, he asks, "Was your grandmother happy in the end?" And Verity Newman says yes, and she realizes this is the real doctor and says, what about you? And he just doesn't answer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, yeah, the, like Captain Jack hooking up with somebody just doesn't have the resonance <laughs> of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, compared to saving, you know, we had saving lives with Martha and Mickey. And Luke. Uh, we ha And Luke. <laughs> and... Um, and it, we have pathos with the the dead grandmother and her granddaughter, and then Captain Jack hooking up. It just it's not on the same level, right? So then he shows up at Donna's wedding. Uh, finally, Donna gets married. Um, we have that nice moment we talked about uh, where he references uh, Donna's dad. He gets to say goodbye to Wilfred, <clears throat> give the lottery ticket to Donna. Um, so there was that nice moment there. And then we end with him. And now, now, we should point out, that's not a big dramatic, in terms of the grand sweep of things, it's not saving lives either. Right. And you could say, oh, giving a lottery ticket is trivial. 
But the way Russell Davies plays this one right. in the writing, it is very moving. Yes. Um, especially because the doctor can't just say goodbye to Donna. And so you have all of this handled through the intermediaries of Sylvia right. and Wilfred. And they understand what's happening, and it's very meaningful to them. Right. right. So that lets uh, that gives us an emotional hook into this story. And then um, we we end with uh, Rose and Jackie. You know, we, we're back to yeah. the very beginning where um, before the beginning, before the beginning, exactly. You know, you you know that the doctor's going to go back to Rose. I mean, that's just sort of. His his and he and he can't go to her in the parallel universe. So the logical alternative is go back before he's met her. Right, and it's uh, January first, two thousand five. Which again, if we keep in mind that this episode was airing on January first, two thousand ten, um, and yep. and you know the the fact that you know he asks her what's the date in the year, she says you know, and it's the that year that she will meet the ninth Doctor, and he says you're going to have a great year, uh, and it sort of you know gives her a, a boost. Um, and then uh, he trudges through the snow back to the TARDIS, sort of like what we're seeing with the Twelfth Doctor in the Christmas special, something the mm-hmm. uh, regeneration in the snow. Um, and then we we have this line: "The song is ending, but the story never ends." Uh, mm-hmm. And then his final line. Oh, actually, I, I did want to bring up another bit with, that he says at some point earlier. He, he at earlier he says, "Regeneration feels like death." Everything I yeah. am dies, and some new man goes sauntering away, and I'm dead. Yep. And that's an important point for uh, for fans because we have to understand that you know, yeah, the doctor goes on, but there's a there's a real death here. There's a real death of the personality. The memories go on. He has these memories, and there's some attachment to people through the memories, but the person of the with the personality is gone. Uh, yeah, in terms in terms, I mean it. it, it in terms of Time Lord biology, it's not literally death, but it does feel like it. And especially for the fans, it feels like yeah. it because the doctor is in this dramatic situation and then he goes away. And even though we know he may return for a special at some point right. or in Big Finish Audio, mm-hmm. we're not it's not going to be the same anymore. There's a real sense of loss here. And he says uh, the the famous last line, I don't want to go. And that's. Yeah, now this line, a lot of fans hated this line. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it at all. I think it's fine. If if, if I was about to undergo a radical personality and physical change, <laughs> you know, after I've become comfortable with who I am, it's like, I, I you know, it does feel like death. And, and facing something that feels like death, saying I don't want to go, is a very human reaction. So I don't mind that line at all here. Where I mind it is in Day of the Doctor, where it's a superfluous callback that cheapens this version of it. It does, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I wonder, you know, for those who didn't like it, I have to admit, I, I wasn't the biggest, biggest fan of it. It's like, well, then, David Tennant, why are you leaving the show? If the last words <laughs> out of your makes... mouth is, I don't want to go, but you're leaving the show, you know. But well, it, it does fit it, in well, with the whole idea of the 10th Doctor, Dave, the, the Doctor that was played by David Tennant, not wanting to give up his time yeah. as the doctor. Right. Even if and the Father, actor, you got to separate from the actor and contracts and all that kind of stuff. So, And Father Corey, you bring out an important point. I think there's a meta thing going on here where there's a sense in which it's not just the 10th doctor saying this line. It's David Tennant saying this line and it's Russell Davies saying this line. And because any any time, 
you are leaving a show, whether as the showrunner and writer or as the principal actor, there are mixed feelings. I mean, actors all the time talk about how tearful their departures are, where they may feel like, okay, for my career and sanity and whatever, yeah. I need to go, but I'm going to miss this. Well, and, we, and we hear stories all the time of, and not just in Doctor Who, but in science fiction as a whole, in TV series as a whole, you know, actors don't want to be typecast. Some actors yeah. do. Some actors, you know, there are actors that they show up in almost every science fiction major project ever done. Because they love the science fiction realm and they just, that's where they're going to stay. But there are other actors where they want to be able to expand. And of course, David Tennant left Doctor Who and eventually ended up in Broadchurch, you know, and doing other Jessica things. Jessica Jones. So, <laughs> Jessica, you know, so, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he hasn't typecast himself, but he's also come back to Doctor Who with Big Finish and right. with the, the uh, Day of the Doctor. So, he hasn't forgotten that either. It could be like leaving a job, you know, where like, I know I've got to move on from a job. I mean, it is like leaving a job. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss these people. You know, I wish I wish this sort of thing could go on forever, but I know it can't. And I kind of took it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And and when it happens, this regeneration is more than just the change of shape of the doctor's body. It's everything yeah. blows up <laughs> the whole ship, yeah. the whole TARDIS. Uh, we're getting a yeah, new it, everything. And it's another kind of meta thing because Russell T. Davies had like redesigned the TARDIS in a big way when he came in and now yep. he's kind of clearing the deck. Okay. I'm taking all my stuff with me. I'm taking Maybe my toys and going home. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking my toys and going home. Um, and then we get, we get a bit of a scene with uh, the, the 11th doctor with Matt Smith. Um, I did find it funny where he grabs the hair and goes, I'm a girl. <laughs> like not, yeah. Yeah. not yet. <laughs> he's also over, overjoyed yeah. to discover he's got legs. Yes. Still not a ginger. That, how long has Still that not a ginger. line been run through there? Still not a ginger. <laughs> um, and uh, so we, we, everything's blowing up around him. The TARDIS is flying around on fire. And that's where we, we, we leave it. Um, you know, Geronimo. We'll, yeah, yeah, Geronimo, the, the new catchphrase. Uh, and uh, we'll pick up that from there with the, the, the first episode of the next season uh right from I, that moment i do love that that line of matt smith though something's going what's going on oh yeah i'm crashing <laughs> yes. you know? yeah that by the way notice notice how and we'll we can talk about this when we talk about um matt smith's regeneration but notice how different this is tonally than what we get with with matt smith's regeneration because here you have this very sad poignant thing as David Tennant slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Yep. To quote from a famous poet. <laughs> um, and then when Matt Smith appears, wham, the energy level ramps back up. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we have this positive feeling. And it's it's very different than what we have in the next regeneration we're going to see. But I love the way we have the sad, elegiac slow paced ending and then just wham it's a whole new world yes. and we feel energized right it's what regeneration is supposed to do right it's it's yeah. that, that that idea uh so any last thoughts on this episode anything we didn't really cover i mean we didn't really talk about the uh the encounter with the ood um brian cox the yeah. famous british actor playing the uh the voice of the elder ood uh that was i thought that was kind of fun yeah. uh, huh. It was it was the best of shows. It was the worst of shows. <laughs> yes. There were some really good parts and some really bad. Uh, one one uh, just kind of one acting uh, comment. We didn't really we didn't talk about him at all. But Joshua Naismith, um, if you look familiar for those who are superhero 
show fans. Right. Uh, he plays John Jones and Hank Henshaw on Supergirl. Supergirl. Now, I wonder if he's British uh, and that's he his is. natural accent. Okay. So he's doing an American accent. Himself. I don't think that's his natural accent because he had more of a uh, Jamaica type accent. He had, he had, a, he didn't have a British accent in this. Okay. His, but, uh, yeah, well, and British actors frequently are acting using a different British accent than their yes. own. I mean, David Tennant himself is doing that. He has a Scottish accent yes. natively. Right. He apparently has been, he's had two different roles in Doctor Who. Uh, he played, uh, John Vallon, president of the city state Stronghaven. Played at Draxine. Oh, in an audiobook. Okay. Uh, I, Army of Death. Say, he's only been on, on the show once. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, okay. So what, uh, that's, that's our take on the end of time. Uh, what did you think of the 10th Doctor Regeneration story? What, what would you have liked to have seen from this, uh, uh, from this episode? What did you think of what we thought about it? Let us know. Visit us at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, I want to remind you that we're right now in the middle of our give, winter giving campaign to support the work, uh, the podcast uh, and videos that we do uh, at Tridio. Uh, you can support the Secrets of Doctor Who and the continuation of this show and other great shows by going to tridio.com slash giving. Uh, you know, any any uh, gift that you can make, we'll, we would greatly appreciate. And you can find out much more there. Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show uh, notes on Tridio.com. We'll be back next week uh, when we'll hopefully be discussing uh, the fourth Doctor story, Shada, which uh, is not a regeneration story, but it's a newly completed... Has, has been newly regenerated. <laughs> newly re yes. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's The BBC has restored it. Uh, to uh, and re replaced there were bits of it that had been lost they've replaced it with new animations um this is uh going to be available online uh they said the november 26 i think they said it was uh and we're hoping that it will that is a an international availability and that we can then quickly watch it and get out our take on it to you um, if you if you are, have a chance to watch it around then, if we don't, we'll just continue on with the Eleventh Doctor's and, regeneration and come back and to it. By the time you you listen to this, we will know whether or not we were able to get a hold of it. <laughs> right, but right, you're listening to this on the day uh, you after it's been released. So uh, we'll we'll try to we'll try to remind our, you. Our, tar our Tardises aren't working very well, so we got to record these when we can. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> It's very confusing, uh, but uh, also, but stay tuned to the, our Facebook page so that you're uh, up on all the latest uh, bits of, you know, what's going on with the show and that sort of thing, too. So until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing in the secrets of Doctor Who. My pleasure. Uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Always a joy to be here. And thank you, Dom, for hosting us. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, there's an old earth saying. A phrase of great power and wisdom and consolation to the soul in times of need. Allons-y! When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.